Good morning. It's good to mix things up when you've got a guest here, because that way if it goes wrong, you can blame the guest. Um, hey, thanks. I've had an amazing week. I head out a little bit later today. Um, I feel like I've been so spoiled, almost like I've been on holidays. So thank you from an incredible host. Uh, what a hosting family. I don't know if, if every family in the church is like this, but I've just been blown away by, by how well they've served. And we're going to talk a bit about service today. That They're a phenomenal example. David also, thank you, is an incredible servant. Um, in fact, I think he's got some kind of special powers. It seemed that every time I, I was thinking that I needed something, he would appear and give it to me. I, I needed some sunscreen. I hadn't got down there. And bang, he pops up with sunscreen. I, I needed to put some oil on my bike chain. And bang, there's, there's oil. I was feeling a little hungry. He walks in with food for me. He's incredible. Cooked me breakfast. Yeah, so thank you, guys. Amazing host over here who gave me an incredible tour of, uh, of Perth. And also, just so much history and understanding of the context you're in, and which was really helpful for me to think through what it's like here and how much that differs from the other side of the country. So thank you. Thank you guys for that. I think my wife also thanks you for getting me away for a little while. I, I was talking to her last night, and, and she said, you know, don't worry, I haven't started any new projects. And uh, it seemed that any time I would go away, and I, I get to travel a bit, she would start a new project. And so I would come home and the kitchen would be painted. Or we say the kitchen would be half painted. The bedroom would be mostly rearranged. Uh, the kids' rooms were being switched. Most of the furniture would be in the hallway. But she said last night that she goes, I didn't really do any projects. And she listed off the things she did. And I was like, am I that much of a burden that when I go away, you have so much more free time? And she just went really quiet. And then I felt guilty because I'm like, I know all these men and, you know, we like to go bike riding and, and do adventures, but most of them say, oh, I can't, you know, my wife doesn't want me to go away or I've got this long list of things to do. And I'm thinking, my wife wants me to go away so she can get work done. So thank you. I, she thanks you as well. Um, last week we talked about the idea of going, that that's where it begins, that missions begins with going. You have to go. You have to leave the space you're in and go somewhere in order to engage in what God's called us to do. Now, that going can be overseas. Um, it can be going into, into really tough places as you support people doing that. Um, it can be going into another part of the country, or it can just be walking out the door of the church. Um, but there is a going, there's an action, there's an activity. Uh, Christianity is an active faith. And, and I think that often we, we sometimes get caught into this mental idea that it's just an emotional or a thought process, but it's an active faith. Uh, it's something we do. Today we're going to talk about this idea of then what do you do once you've gone? You actually do something. Uh, and I think I challenged you last week to think about some places that you can go. Um, where are some th- places you can go and Maybe it's just simply going down to the shops and going to the same stores that you always go to. Uh, as I mentioned, I think last week, my wife intentionally takes a job at the local public school. She's a school teacher, so that's where she goes. Uh, her mission is the local school. Uh, it can be in community events. Uh, it can be with your neighbours. There are so many different things. We're using the same passage because that passage has so much in it from, from last week. Uh, the going and the doing that Jesus' mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And the first thing Jesus told them was to go to the back and do, put some water in the jars. And it was that simple. It wasn't complicated. It was that simple. Go and put some water in the jars. 
Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first miracle recorded, the people involved are called servants. That's what they were doing. They were serving. As simple as that, serving and doing their job, that created the opportunity. Go and get some water. So as Christians, what are some of the things that we're called to do? I think a lot of times we think what, what our job to do is to go and evangelize, whatever we call that, and um, go and tell people the gospel, tell people the, the good news, tell them what they're supposed to do. Sometimes I think our job is, we think, is to tell people all the things they're doing wrong. Um, I think in, in the last, probably in the last 10 or 15 years, that's been a mark of what the world has often reflected on Christians. Uh, I like to read quite a bit of research, and one of the main things that comes up is people feel like Christians are the most bigoted, the most outspoken, the most selfish, the most self-righteous groups. Um, So I think we've gone a little astray. Maybe some groups have gone astray, and the rest of us get a bad reputation about that. Um, So there's a telling, there's the verbal part, but also really deeply is the doing, the service that we do for other people. I'm going to read you a couple of passages Uh, The first two are are from written by the Apostle Paul about kind of what's it mean to be a Christian. This is from the book. He is a letter he wrote to Galatians. And it says, for the whole law, everything of the law. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know so much of the Old Testament, particularly the early parts, is about the law. It's quite complicated. He says the whole law is fulfilled in one word or maybe translate in one sentence. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Take all that thick stuff and you condense it into one line. Now, I really like that because I'm, I'm an experiential learner. So that's why I love coming out here. I mean, getting on my bike, going, hanging out with people, being around people. I learn that way. I don't learn very well through books. Um, I've got a doctorate. I'm a professor in some other parts of my life. Uh, I've got a massive library in my, in my office, which I usually make sure when I'm Zooming, everybody sees all my, my books. But most of them I've never read. Uh, in fact, very few of them I read. And people ask me for books, and I, I usually recommend one of the five or six books that I've read. Um, I can read. I love to read stories. But I love the idea that you can condense so much of the Old Testament into one sentence. In fact, when I teach, one of the first things I do is I teach students how to read, read a book and how to get through a book as quick as possible with as little pain as possible. So the cliff notes... In Romans, well, well read and well known book that, that Paul also penned to the church in Rome, he says this Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one word or one sentence You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So I said, that's something you can do. Can you be part of fulfilling the entire law simply by loving your neighbor? And through loving your neighbor, we get the opportunity to tell people how amazing Jesus is. Now, I think we're in a society where people need us. I really believe this that I think we're in a society, maybe the, the crux of society, the high point of society, where there is a deep need for relationships and a deep need to be loved. Now, obviously, I haven't lived outside of my own time span, so, so I'm just taking on what I read of history, but I think now is one of the most complicated times. I think young people are dealing with pressures that they've never dealt with before. 
Uh, I listened to a guy talk a couple of years ago. Um, he talked on, he said, there's never been a generation that had so much and yet was so unhappy as the current generation. Uh, sadly, this man committed suicide a couple of months after delivering that message. Uh, I would first, when I was teaching, uh, 18 to 22-year-old, mostly female, middle-class students, so very much out of my, out of my framework, uh, I, I was hit again and again by how much brokenness they had inside them, how much pain they dealt with. And, and I was living in a context where I would see visible things all the time, right? I would see people who were dealing with high violence, people with drug addictions, um, people who are homeless, uh, people who are hungry. Yet nothing broke me as much as hearing the stories from middle-class people about how much pain and brokenness they carried around with them every day. Um, that all this stuff that we've accumulated has not come close to fulfilling the holes we have inside of us. Uh, if you ever work around people who've had addictions and drug addictions, one of the things they talk about is, is called chasing the ghost or chasing the high that they get. The first time that you get a high from a drug, people try and get that again and again, but it doesn't happen. The same drug can never produce the same high. Um, it always diminishes to a point where people continue to use drugs and they're just at the beginning level they were at. Um, it just keeps them functioning. Drugs do not fulfill that. In fact, in our community, uh, one of the universities came and did some research and they asked um, a group of heroin addicts, why do you use heroin? Not a single person said, I use heroin because it makes me feel good. Every person told a story of trauma that they were trying to forget and that they were using the drug to try and forget about what was going on in their life. They were trying to fulfill some hole in their life. Uh, the people don't come and use heroin, despite what you might think, don't come and use heroin to make themselves feel good. It's to make themselves forget about the pain that they're enduring and what they're going through. People need us. They need those relationships. And I think in the communities that you're in, um, you've got a much tougher task than, than where I am and where I've been. Uh, because in my community, it's kind of easy to see where people's needs are. In fact, people tell you where their needs are all the time. When we're teaching and training, one of the first things we've got to do is teach people how to deal when somebody dumps their whole life on you in the first five minutes. Uh, we, we run a, a low-cost food program, so $3 for a bag of fresh groceries. And uh, one day a couple comes, I hadn't seen them before. Oh, are you guys from around here? No, no, my wife and I just got out of drug rehab. Oh, wow, your daughter's here? Yes, yes, we just got custody back from her. She was taken away by, by the government. We just got her back. I was like, wow, okay, so you told me you've got a drug addiction problem, you've got home issues, uh, you've got parenting issues. That's all in the first minute and a half of the conversation. So I know what's going on in their life, and I know how that we, we can kind of direct what we're going to do. Uh, it's not uncommon to have somebody come and knock at a door, and uh, they find my house. I've got a plaque on my door that says it's the church house. I'm not, not really keen on having the plaque there, but I've got this plaque, and, and so they know that's the church house, and they come and they, they, they'll tell you, you know, such and such in my family died. Somebody's got an addiction. Uh, my next-door neighbor, their son has a, an addiction to, to meth. I know it, we talk about it, we hear it, we can hear it, actually we can hear it through there, and especially when the police get caught, I, I know exactly what's going on. And they also know what's going on when my wife and I are not getting along so well either. Um, it's open, right? So we're dealing with an open issue, that people in our church and context are extremely open. But you're dealing with a closed place. In fact, as, as um, my great guides here this week have told me, a lot of people move to this area so they don't have to deal with each other. Right? They want that space. And I began to pick it up, and I could pick it up in people's comments, and when I was driving and looking at people and trying to say hello to people, I was like, oh yeah, people like their space here. Um, 
I'm in a context where people are more than happy to be all crowded into one little spot and be around each other. And that means everybody knows each other's problems. But people need you. The people outside of these walls need you. They need to feel loved and cared for. They need to feel like somebody acknowledges who they are, that they see them, and that you understand that there's pain going on. Uh, Because all the families have it. I don't think I've come across a family yet that hasn't had some kind of traumatic experience, some kind of pain, some kind of anguish, Um, particularly if you've had kids. I think every parent's dealt with pain and anguish uh, problems. And to do that in isolation is so difficult. So I want to say that the people need you. Now, Apostle John, who wrote the part that we read about earlier for the the wedding in Cain, he says this. He's quoting Jesus here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The way we love people is what marks us as a disciple. That's something we do that the world cannot do. Um, I have a friend, he's, he's been a friend for a really long time, amazing guy, he was a Christian, big speaker, he walked away, um, and he keeps trying to replicate the church, and I kind of laugh at him, he probably laughs at me because he thinks I'm delusional still being in church, I think he's a bit delusional, but he keeps trying to create Christian community without God, it's like, but it doesn't work, it just doesn't work, that's our special distinctive, is our ability to love other people. That's what marks us separate than the entire world. And again, what does that look like in practice? It can be such simple things. It can be picking up the phone and calling somebody that doesn't expect a phone call. Uh, I met a young man in in a prison recently, and and, uh, I happened to know his uncle, and that led us to conversation about his parents or his foster parents. And I said, yeah, I'll talk to your parents. He goes, you really talk to my parents? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll give him a call. Now, I'm an introvert. If you know me, like, I'm an introvert. When I was at the, the various things this week, I'm, like, in the back corner. Like, I don't know how to, like, engage. Once I'm up on stage, it's easy, but, but in the, I'm, I'm there. So I'm like, okay. I'm thinking, okay, I'll probably send him a text, right? Because I do a lot of texts. That's easier than, than doing it. And so as I'm leaving the prison, he goes, I'm going to call them right now and tell them you're going to call them as soon as you leave the prison. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now, right? I've got to call this family. <laughs> they were so overjoyed that I had talked to their son, and could say, he's doing okay. They were so overjoyed, and we had an amazing conversation, and I could encourage them and say, it's okay. And if you need anything, you just call me. It was as simple as, as making that. Maybe it's visiting somebody who's sick, somebody who you know is struggling. Maybe it's just writing a note. I, I used to, I, I've never really thought that people care about like, what I do, that I'm, I'm not impacting, that I, you know, we, we talked the other day, if I throw a party, I don't think anybody ever turns up to see me. Like, even my own birthday party, they come to see who else is at the party. Um, so I, I kind of feel that. But what I started to do was thinking, you know, when I feel lonely, when I feel depressed, and I wouldn't say ever clinically depressed, but when I'm down, um, when I'm feeling isolated, I start to think maybe other people feel the same way. So maybe what I can do is I can start writing notes, emails, texts, handwritten notes, and send them to people and say, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you and that you're not alone. The number of times I've heard back from people who say, you can't believe how much I needed that at that moment, Um, including people that that I would think are surrounded by others. Uh, There was a guy recently, he's he's a very well-known Christian in Sydney, and I saw one day, I said, I wonder if he has any real friends, or if everybody just comes to him to get something for him. I thought, sure he does, but, but let me just in case ask him one day, if you need anything, would you like to go bike riding one day? He's like, yeah, 
Yeah, I want to come. And then every three weeks, four weeks, we go out and we hang out together. Because he was isolated. He felt alone. He didn't feel like there was a lot of people around him who he could just be himself with. He felt like he was always on stage having to perform. Um, It can be as simple as that, just writing a, a note, sending somebody something simple. It can be more complicated, like going to a prison, and Jesus tells that, visit prisoners. It can be going to a hospital. Uh, It can be hanging out with groups like Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade. I've been super impressed. I never really knew what they were, and and I was like, wow, these are great impacting things in communities, especially to see kids from non-Christian families coming. I was like, what an amazing opportunity. They're coming into the church to hang out, to be part of that. and it's simple, right? I mean, the other night I just rode my bike with them. That's all it took. And we could talk about things on the bike. It didn't have to be deep. Um, although some of the kids were ready to get deep really quickly. Um, it can be dropping something off to your neighbours. We, uh, whenever we get extra food, we, we drop some off to our neighbours. And it creates conversation. How are things going? What's going on with you? Uh, the other day was quite funny because we dropped some off to a neighbour and I began talking to her and she was apologising for what their, their son had had done, he'd stolen some stuff from us, and I was like, it's not your, not your problem. Um, and at the end I said, you know, can I pray for you? And uh, it's quite amazing when you ask people, to, can you pray for them? Most people will say yes. Um, in fact, Wine and Vicky will tell you that most Muslims will say yes when you ask, can you pray for them? Um, my Buddhist friends, my Islamic friends, when I say I'm going to pray for you, they're always like, thank you. But I said, can I pray for you? And she's like, oh, I'm not sure. She goes, what religion are you again? I said, oh, I can be any, I mean, what denomination? I can be any denomination you like today. What would you, she goes, well, I'm Church of England. I said, yeah, it's close enough. As an Anglican, I can be, I can be an Anglican today. And she goes, oh, okay. So she's told me she's, she's Church of England. She goes, but I've never been to church. I said, that's okay. I think we can still pray. And as I prayed for her, she began to cry. Um, because I don't think anybody had ever stood in front of her and prayed for her. But that's simple. That's simple just to say, can I, can I pray for you? That's what she needed at that moment. Informal or formal. So many things that we can do. Now, last week I talked about the uh, Samaritan woman uh, who met Jesus at the well. They have this interaction. He tells her to go. Simple. Just go back to town. Go back to where you came from. When you get there, just tell people about the encounter you had with me. That's all. Just it's a simple story. Right after that, and she does that, and, and people come to know Jesus. Their lives are changed. More disciples are made. After that, it's a fascinating encounter because Jesus is still hanging out the well. He sent his disciples in to get food, right? He basically sent them in to get some takeaway fish and chips. Come back. They've come back with their fish and chips. He's hanging out there. They're like, here's, here's some food. And he's like, no, I'm not hungry. Now, I think that'd be pretty annoying if you just walked all the way into town. You got, got your boss some food. You come back, and he's like, I'm all good. And I'm like, you're not hungry. Like, you've been hanging out all day. You haven't had any food. He goes, no, doing the will of God is my food. In fact, he says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, that passage, he uses water to give this beautiful description. You know, I'll give you living water. But he also talks about food. I want to say that us doing what God's called us to do is our food. It's what nourishes us. It's what keeps us going. Uh, I can't ever remember waking up one morning and thinking, I've got nothing to do for serving God. There's just never been a day like that. There's always something to do to serve God. And that's what keeps me going. Like, I, I just can't imagine what it'd be like to think, I don't know what I'm involved with. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what God wants. 
Because the food nourishes me, right? The service nourishes me, what keeps me going. So I'd say if you're not doing things, then I bet you're kind of hungry. That there's a hunger inside because we're supposed to fulfill that. And I'm not saying that we're, we get saved by doing things, but it's an integral part of what we are as a Christian. In fact, James writes this, and, and I love James. Other people don't always like James because they think he gets too much into, into work stuff. I love what James says. He says, faith without works is dead. That if you're not doing something, you're not being fed and you're going to starve and you die. So we believe and we do. And the doing part is about loving others. Now you might say, how qualified am I and how qualified do you have to be? And I've got, a, I've got a list of things, but none of those things really qualify me to knock on a door and talk to a neighbor. And I told you I started ministry when uh, I'd been, only been a Christian for a very, very short period of time. Uh, I just didn't know any better. No one told me that you had to have all this training and know all this stuff to supposedly go out and do things. And I'm about as least qualified as you could find. I'm, I'm introverted. I struggle to have conversations. I certainly struggle to ever go up to anybody in the street and, and just talk to them. Um, I, so I have to work really, really hard to create opportunities. Uh, and I think that if somebody like me can work for God, anybody can work for God. And I really mean that. Anybody can work for God. Um, in fact, I often get frustrated because I meet all these highly talented people and I'm like, I've got to work so hard. And it's just so easy for you, but you're not doing it. How do you do it? I, I deliberately choose to join a, a cycling club that's full of, mostly full of non-Christians because that puts me around non-Christians. But I don't just ride along and start telling them all about Jesus because I'm not, I, that's pretty intimidating, as someone said, right? It's pretty scary to just do that. I'm just like, oh, I, just, I just try and be loving and caring. And on one of, the, one of my uh, the Facebook chat groups or Messenger chat groups, one of the guys nicknamed everybody because he said that's how he remembers everybody. And I'm looking at the names, and one of the names says preacher. But my name's not next to preacher. And uh, I was like, interesting. And, and my name said right-hand man. I was like, right-hand man? What does that even mean? And the other day, I, I dropped something off uh, on his behalf to somebody, and the person, he told the person they had to pay me. I didn't want the money, but he gave it. I said, oh, I want your money. He goes, no, because you're the guy we rely on. You're the one who's always there to help when we need something. Like any of us in our group that needs something, we know we can call you, and you'll be the one to help out. And I thought, wow, that's my entryway, right? Why do I do that? I do that because God has told me to love you and to care for you. And I found those opportunities and lead me to other things. That he, He's struggling with some, some illness. And now I've got a place to talk to him about. Man, how do you cope with that illness? How do you, how do you go through that? Um, wow, that's really serious. That must be tough. He says, why do you care? Why do I care? Well, let me tell you about what God has done for me. Or let me tell you about my daughter's experience. And inside telling that story, I'm going to weave this, this train of, I couldn't get through it without God. As I said the other day, this, this friend who did the... Uh, this Everest thing up and down the mountain. I was able to take that and talk to him about how God in the Bible talks about perseverance and say, man, you persevered. Like, that's kind of like what, what Paul was talking about when he wrote in Romans 5 about perseverance. Is that, oh yeah, this guy in the Bible, like, you should have seen what he went through. The Bible, the Bible relates to what I'm going through right now? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's always a story. No one can tell me a story without finding a place that it relates in the Bible. I mean, that's one of the beautiful gifts of the Bible. We can just take simple things in our life. Those opportunities will come if we're there. 
I think about a lady in our church, uh, Miss Joan. Miss Joan is, is a legend in our community, um, so she lives in, in Sydney's poorest community. Miss Joan raises her uh, great-granddaughter, not her daughter, not her granddaughter, but her great-granddaughter, so she's about 84. I think her, daughter, her grand, great-granddaughter is 14, um, a servant. But she ran the SRE, the scripture stuff, in schools for decades. Uh, she can't do that anymore. So now she helps others. She prays for others. She encourages others. If you want to do SRE, you know that Miss Joan is going to pray for you, encourage you. She's going to be your cheerleader. There's no excuse. Miss Joan, if anybody has an excuse not to serve in our church, it would be her. Yet she's a servant. She's a servant because she understands what it means to do. Now, thinking this last piece, it's, it's... I've been here all week. I've, all I've got to do now is get to the airport, which I can catch an Uber if, if you don't like what I've got to say next. So you always leave the worst parts of life, or the most controversial part. I want to push that not only do we go and we do, but sometimes we need to stay. As far as go out of the church and stay out of the church. Be careful here. And what I mean by that is that I think at times we make a mistake and think the kingdom of God is just this little room here. And that if we don't see things happening here, then it doesn't really count. So if the numbers in here don't get bigger, then we're not doing a good job. If families in here don't give more money, then we're not doing a good job. And so we spend a lot of energy just trying to get people to come into church. I want to say that I think sometimes, sometimes maybe people aren't ready to come to church, and sometimes coming into a church might not be the best thing for a person. Sometimes I think that we can do better ministry outside of the church. So church is amazing. It's an amazing place for us to come together. It's amazing to get equipped and to worship and to fellowship. But I think sometimes when we go, we need to stay in those places we're at and develop work in those places. I think about a, a large church I, I once did some work for, and uh, they told me a story, because I walked into their church, and the church has a big coffee shop. I said, oh, what's the story behind the coffee shop? And they said, well, we found that um, there was a coffee shop in town, and every Sunday they would play the recording of our sermon from the week before. And all these people in the coffee shop would get to hear the sermon. And they said, oh, if they're going to do that there, why don't we just bring the coffee shop into the church? I was like, oh my goodness, what a classic mistake. You've got this amazing ministry going on out here and you take it from its effective place and you bring it back to a place where it becomes less effective. Um, a friend of mine, he, he's quite controversial. A friend of mine, Don, he used to talk about this idea of saved island and unsaved island. And he said, you know, we live on saved island. We love being around saved island. We make our culture work for us. And then we send missionaries over to unsaved island over here. And when we make a convert... We drag them back and we put them on saved island. But then we've still got to send somebody else over to unsaved island to keep doing the work. One of the fascinating stories in, in Scripture is after Levi has been called to be a disciple, so called out of being a tax collector, maybe not called out of being a tax collector. He was a tax collector. He gets called by Jesus to come. The next thing we see is that everybody is hanging out at his house, including Jesus, and it's full of tax collectors and sinners. He didn't leave 
that place. Jesus didn't say, okay, from now on, all our ministry has to happen in the temple. In fact, this great ministry was happening in his house because that's where all the sinners were used to hanging out. We've asked this on some deeper, deeper things about um, people in gangs. When they become Christians, should they leave the gang? Or does their effectiveness um, stay heightened when they're still in the gang? How do you manage that? Uh, I think the most effective people working in prisons are prisoners. They're not the outside person that comes in. They're the prisoners who remain in there. Uh, and so I think sometimes, if something is really good outside, staying in that context might actually be the most effective things to do. Perhaps it's at your workplace, at a school, at a group, at a playground, um, at a sporting activity. You know, often Christians will say, well, they've got these great sports teams, we should have our own sports team. I think maybe sometimes, no, we shouldn't. We should infiltrate their sports teams. Um, Christian schools can be great for some people, but also what we've noticed is a real lack of Christians working in public schools, in our context for sure. Um, My wife hasn't told me a story yet of another Christian in her school. So we've got some Christian schools, that's great. But then what are we doing in the public schools? Maybe we need to train up some people to go in. I had friends who were training up people in the music industry and in the uh, acting industry. They said, because what better place to have Christians than in Hollywood? They get to impact everybody. So instead of saying Hollywood's evil, let's create our own Christian media, they said, well, how about we infiltrate Hollywood with, with Christians? So sometimes I just think you've got to stay. Now, there's barriers, there's hardships. As I mentioned, sometimes we don't think we're good enough. Who is? Sometimes we're scared. Um, We pray for each other, and we try and find the easiest and simple ways. Sometimes we say we're not trained. And we'll say, that's why you have a pastoral staff. You've got an amazing pastoral staff. had such a great time hanging out with Glenn the other day, hearing his vision, um, hearing the the great things that are happening, the challenges that are happening. I want to say to you that I think... Sometimes we miss what pastors are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. Sometimes we think pastors are the ones who are supposed to be doing all the work for the church. Right? The to-do list is very, very long for a pastor. I want to say that pastors are far more like coaches. The pastor's job is to train and deploy, to guide and to help. And Scripture says that. It says the role of the pastor is to train, to train and equip others to do the ministry. Um, they're, they're our coaches. They're the ones who get us going. They develop strategies. They tell us what the strategy should be. Although sometimes when we get on the field, we, we ad-lib it and we use our own natural abilities and you know, they might come back and say, well, maybe you could have done this a bit differently or great, we'll do that next time. Um, pastors should nev- churches should never, ever rely on the pastor to do all the work. Be crazy. Be crazy to do that. So you've got a great coaching team here to equip you and to train you and to deploy you in how to do the work. And it can be amazing what you could do. You've got about 100, 150 people here. The impact you could have would be astounding. I've shared a bit about the health clinic we're involved with. When I first got on the board, one of the main main things I saw was they had um, mission policy so that the doctors and the nurses could take uh, two to four weeks off a year and go on a missions trip. I said, that's really nice. I said, but what about all the rest of the staff? And what do you mean? I said, well, what about the person on the front desk, the medical assistant? What about the janitor, the cleaner? What about the security guard? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, why can't they do missions? I said, in fact, I know a lot of your staff, they go to our church and they love to do missions. And so we changed the policy and every staff person from then on got two weeks off a year to go on a missions trip. 
That clinic has 250 staff, right? That's what they do for their life. But they, they see 60,000 patients a year with 250 Christians. So I just did a little bit of math and I thought, well, if you guys break it down and what if you just did 1% of that? Could you impact 600 people in this community a year? What would that look like? What would it look like if you came in every Sunday and told a story of here's the four or five people that I, I got to talk to this week? Here's some occasions that I did. Here's some things I can celebrate. Simple things of doing. You could impact this whole community. You could change and transform this entire place. And this would be the center point where anybody who knows who's hurting would say, this is where we go. These are the people we talk to. Um, every time somebody ran in and said, why do you care? Well, I go this Church, what's church? Oh, it's this place up here. You know, Mundaring Church of Christ. Wow, I ran into somebody the other day. They were just like you as well. They seem to love me as well. So I want to say that it's so simple to go and to do, to don't overcomplicate it, to don't be intimidated by it, to don't think that's for somebody else. But it's actually all of our jobs. It feeds us. It keeps us going. And through that, we change the world, through the love we have for other people. Pray for us. God, I thank you that you gave us a simple thing to do, to love others. I thank you that your message comes through that. I thank you that that creates the opportunities for us to tell people how, how amazing you are, how you've changed our lives. I thank you you've given us one another, Lord. And I especially thank you for this church, for the impact it's having, uh, Lord, particularly um, through the, the ministries that I've seen through the course of the week, um, for those, especially the young, young boys and girls who are being impacted by having uh, Christians in their lives um, who love them and care for them. Uh, Lord, yeah, and I pray that, that you uh, help people see that, that you've removed barriers for us. Um, you've made our lives simple uh, things. We pray this in your son's name, Lord. Amen.